Zero Trust, episode 45. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. Today, I have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, my goal is to provide you with real-world context around technology. I'm your host, Zig Ziga. Welcome back, my friends. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. I'm excited about today's topic, Zero Trust. If you have not heard about Zero Trust yet, we have a great episode here for you. We're going to go down into some weeds on Zero Trust. Um, again, we're going to keep it vendor agnostic like we always do. Um, it's not vendor bashing. We're just talking conceptual ideas and, and understanding what something is and what it's not. What is Zero Trust? Zero Trust in Zig's, you know, Zig's words, my words, right, is a different thought process. And, and honestly, it's a general philosophy around security. It, it is a, it's a different philosophy around security than what we currently do today. It, it's actually a shift from what I would call threat-centric security uh, to, to, to trust-centric security. And, and I will actually explain what those both mean in a bit. But first, let's discuss some of the, the foundational pillars of what zero trust is. Because it is, it, you're gonna have to change your mindset just a tad from what we do today um, and what we've done for maybe the last 10 to 15, 20 years to zero trust based on these, these pillars, if you will. So there are roughly nine zero trust pillars and in my own words, right? I've put them in my own words and, and kind of tweaked them a little. Being on a network, does not imply that you get access to that network. So what does that mean specifically? Traditionally, when you authenticate or you authorize a client user device to a network, you allow them on that network. They are on that network. So being on that network does not imply access. Just because you're authorized, you're authenticated, does not imply you get full access to everything. That's one. But then in addition to that, being on the network does not imply that you have access to the network in general. Number two is every access to any resource. So I mean any resource, and we're gonna we're gonna harp on this a couple times. So that resource, what does resource mean? Resource means users, devices, applications, transactions, data, workflows, data flows. Those are resources. So the key here is every access to any of these resources is authorized based on a, a, a dynamic review of trust and, and trustworthiness of those resources. That's what it is. So every access to any of these resources that I mentioned, all those resources, is authorized based on a dynamic, a dynamic um, review of the trust of the, those resources. Um, so it's almost like those users, those devices, those transactions, are they at risk? Is there a problem? What's going on? Let's review that trust. Are we still trusting it? Or should we not trust it? The next one is authorization moves from session-based to transaction-based, and it moves with you in the organization. So it moves as you move in the organization. That transactions, though, not the session. The network is always assumed to be hostile. So most of us, I think, think that in, in this day and age, but once we have our perimeter set in a threat-centric world, where we've kind of set the line in the sand and said, all right, in my little turtle shell world, right, my little turtle shell, um, I'm safe, 
I'm trusted. I, I like my stuff and, and I can access whatever I want to access in my turtle shell. And traditionally that turtle shell has a firewall that is the boundary of that turtle shell. And on the inside of that firewall, you have a trust interface. And then on the outside of that, that firewall, you have an untrusted interface and the outside has all the hostile, thready viruses, Trojan horses, whatever's out there, bad stuff, denial of services, hackers, whatnot. So traditional network and, and threat-centric model that's what you'd have. But today, when we're talking about zero trust, we're talking about more of a, the network is always assumed to be hostile. So it doesn't matter where you are, assume it's hostile. Next is external and internal threats exist at all times. So I think a lot of us in the industry understand that external threats exist at all times. I think that's fairly um, foundational, if you will. But internal threats, a lot of people that I talk to seem to miss that a lot of our threats are actually internal threats. And they exist at all times. In some companies, the internal threats are more of an issue than the external threats. Because again, you have this perimeter device or perimeter that you've set up, right? And you're protected from the external threats as long as there's not like a zero-day threat that you don't know. So you're protected from the external threats. What you're not protected from because you're, you have a trust boundary and everything inside that trust boundary is trusted. Sorry, you can't see my air quotes. So I'm doing everything. Everything in that trust boundary is now trusted. With that mindset... If there's something that's that's a risk or a threat inside your trusted boundary and you don't realize it and you're not validating it, well, now that, that threat is going to spread across your trusted environment. So the key here is that internal threats exist at all times. Every device, app, application, user, and, and network flow, every all of that stuff is authenticated and authorized. Now, this is the next one. This is kind of a key one that... that some people don't like because it, it, it brings up a topic, but I want you to, to really embrace this. So automation systems are what allow a zero trust network to be built and operated. So what does this mean is that you, you will need to embrace automation. You will because part of zero trust includes feedback loops and feedback mechanisms so that zero trust can apply its policies correctly in real time. So you have to let zero trust do what you are supposed to, what you want it to do without that user intervention. So you need for zero trust to be successful in your environment, you need it to rely on automation systems to make it happen. Policies must be dynamic and calculated from as many sources of data as possible. So here we're going to take all the analytical information we can get from all the sources we can get it from. And then our, our zero trust engine, our policy engine, is going to make dynamic decisions based on all that data. It's going to calculate that data, it's going to sift through that data, and it's going to make some intelligent dynamic decisions for your organization. And then finally, the last rule, last pillar, foundational pillar, is that all activity is logged. So not just logs are logged, but all activity is logged. And one of the key things about the automation aspect here is that if you log everything in your AOR, area of responsibility, sorry for the, the abbreviation there. So if you log everything within your organization, do you even have the time or the manpower to look at those logs? Because it does nothing for you if you don't look at those logs, if you don't review those logs in a timely fashion regularly. So if you don't have the time or the staff 
or the resources, whatever it might be, to look at these logs, then you need to embrace the automation system, the feedback loop of Zero Trust to instantiate the, the ability for Zero Trust to learn, hey, this is happening on this location at this time. I need to apply a different rule set or a different security policy, or I need to have a policy enforcement point, uh, enforcement point over in that location, and I need to do that now. Those are the nine, nine pillars, right? They're, for the most part, pretty simplistic. They're not too difficult, but it is a different way of, of doing things. It's a different governance on security and philosophy on security that this industry hasn't seen in a while. Um, what I kind of call this down to is almost like a whitelist model for security, but it's not just a whitelist model on a firewall. It's a whitelist model everywhere. Users, devices, data, data flows, transactions, workloads, I don't know if I'm missing, I might be missing something there, but it's on everything. So you really need a whitelist model on every step of the way. So we just got over talking about the nine pillars of zero trust. To embrace these nine pillars and to embrace zero trust, we literally have to change our governance and security models from the last couple of decades. And in some cases, even longer than that. Now, at the beginning of this podcast, I did mention a couple keywords, threat-centric and trust-centric. Now, I, what I want to I want to understand I want to explain what I mean by these two these two key um, identifiers or terminology. So, threat centric is what I would call what we've done for the last couple decades, where we have a trusted environment, and I would call this the legacy way of doing things. The network is trusted, which means there is a perimeter that we set a line in the sand, where we say this is our perimeter with inside that perimeter is trusted. It's our network, it's trusted. Everything in there is trusted. Outside of that perimeter, it's untrusted. The outside, it's not trusted at all. The key here is to understand the network is trusted. And why we have this threat-centric model is because that perimeter, that device, that edge, whatever you wanna call it, all we care about is making sure we're blocking those threats and then we're allowing everything else. So how does that work, right? It's more of a, a blacklist. We, we identify a threat, we block it. We identify another threat, we block it. Now, what about those zero-day threats where we don't know? They're not blocked until we find out about them and we block them. That's the model that we've been living with for a long time. This is why we call it a threat-centric model because we have this perimeter and we literally are blocking out all those threats and we're allowing everything else. In addition to this, we also have IP-based ACL control. So we have legacy IP addresses with ports and protocols, and we put them in an ACL or access list. And that's how we're defining our security controls. Our policies in this legacy way of doing things, if you will, um, are static and they limit the segmentation requirements. They actually limit the segmentation capabilities where we're required to do more segmentation and micro-segmentation. So we have static policy definition and there is no dynamic aspect of that definition. And that, that line in the sand that causes, that creates our perimeter, right? That's a hardened perimeter security. Now you literally have an internal trusted network and an external untrusted network. Now, if you're familiar with running firewalls and firewall rule sets um, over the last years, some of the products out there actually have interfaces that say inside or uh, uh, trusted and then they have outside or untrusted. So our firewalls, the way that we actually do business, actually do this model intuitively because that's how they've done it for years. Now, this forms 
our perimeter trusted architecture. And honestly, the analogy I like to use for the situation is it's like a turtle shell that never moves. We are protected by this shell, but it is never moving, it is never dynamic, it is static, it is in place. So if we flip over to, to the other side of the things, the newer model, the zero trust model, where we reside on trust-centric, this is the new way of thing, doing things, right? So here we go ahead and eliminate the network trust model that we have. We just eliminate it because we don't need this perimeter shell, that turtle shell that doesn't move. We actually need something a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more flexible, and actually a lot more secure. So what do we do? With this trust-centric model, we actually create what we call a trust boundary. That trust boundary is gonna start at the access layer where we connect our devices, our users, our workflows, our servers, and it's gonna go all the way around to the edge where we connect into maybe potentially the internet, um, our ISPs, the data centers, the cloud data centers, the off-prem, on-prem data centers, or hybrid cloud. So within this kind of cloud that we're painting, or picture that we're painting within this, that perimeter, that boundary, forms our trust-centric model. Now what happens in that trust-centric model is that every step of the way, our resources that we talked about earlier, our users, our devices, our data, our data flows, our traffic patterns, our applications, and I'm forgetting one, our transactions, all of those things, all those resources are constantly authenticated, constantly authorized, and then constantly retrusted or trusted. That's the trust-centric model. Very different to what we're doing today. While we are doing this, we have identity-based access control. In conjunction with that, we have dynamic policy and segmented network access. So what is happening, right? When we say these words, what is actually happening? Part of zero trust is this feedback loop mechanism where all this data, all this, the analytics, the visibility, the information of what's going on these devices is getting sent back to the zero trust engine, that policy engine, so it can make intelligent, dynamic decisions. Now, it's going to change policies as it needs to, dynamically. It's gonna segment network access based on those policies. Again, it's all dynamic, it's not static. And if you don't think about me, static is tragic. After that has been done, then we have this, what we call a software-defined security perimeter. That, that boundary, that's, that trusted boundary is our software-defined security perimeter. And it moves. It is that, that, what I like to call that turtle shell, that's no longer in one spot, but everywhere. And the last item, and I already kind of mentioned it, is that we have that security, that security visibility and analytics, right? So we have real-time visibility and analytics that's getting fed from all of our devices and all the information out there is getting sent to the, to the policy engine so it can make real-time adjustments to the policies being applied within the, the, the infrastructure, within the enterprise architecture. That is how Zero Trust is handling it. That's been a kind of a quick little primer on Zero Trust. We talked about the pillars, the foundational pillars of zero trust. There were nine of them. We talked about trusted model or the uh, threat-centric model that we've done for the last couple decades. And then we talked about the zero trust model or the trust-centric model, which is what's kind of evolving in our industry today. So now the question that comes up is where to start with zero trust? Remember, at the beginning we said, what is zero trust? And we just defined it. So how do we start with zero trust? So the first thing that we should do 
is that we should authenticate our users, our devices, and our applications. And then once we actually have them authenticated once, then we do it continuously. That's a key component of this entire model, is that we continuously authenticate our resources. We enable segmentation of all infrastructure at layer two. That's going to bring in our micro-segmentation that we, we love, right? All the salespeople, all the vendors love that micro-segmentation buzzword. But in reality, all we have to do is enable segmentation of our infrastructure at layer two to get that micro-segmentation that we all love and need. We have to reduce the number of security vendors in the AOR, in your area of operations. Oper area of operations. I said the wrong word. AOR, area of responsibility. This isn't a vendor bashing situation. This isn't like one vendor has more things than the other vendor or one vendor is better at zero trust than the other vendor. What this means is that there are thousands and thousands of security vendors and security products out there. You are going to have a hard time. It's going to be complex to implement zero trust just to begin with. And if you add in the additional complexity of going over like hundreds and hundreds of different vendors, security vendors, it's going to take you a long time and it's going to be practically impossible. The intent here is to reduce the number of security vendors to a few, and the integration becomes a lot easier, a lot simpler. I'm a big fan of the KISS method. Keep it simple. So if we can keep it simple, then it will make it easier to implement zero trust. This next thing is really, honestly, something that I, I have a hard time with people because they don't know this, but you have to know your compliance requirements. How can you instantiate a policy and you don't know what you need to be compliant on? So if you don't know your compliance requirements, that's the first step. You figure out your compliance. Now, these are going to be like some like PCI compliant for like a financial institution or a point of sale system. And then you got maybe potentially for a healthcare or a hospital, maybe you got HIPAA compliance requirements. So those are where you're going to see some of those compliance requirements. Now, what you're going to get is the zero trust policy engines are going to have some additional templates in them that lets you kind of instantiate these compliance as well. Um, if in your AOR, do a report, do um, push down the policies as you need to. The, the policy enforcement points can actually enforce certain compliance standards for you natively out of the boxes. Next, we're going to understand and assess your risks. We need to understand, it's risk management, basic risk management. We have to understand what we're not doing, why we're not doing it, document it, and make sure we're okay with it. If we're not okay with it, find a workaround, implement a workaround. Next is we got to focus on business enablement. So what I mean by business enablement and focusing on it is that we never do something just because in this industry. It's always because of business intent, business outcome, business priorities, and business goals. We have to take those items I just mentioned, all those business terminology, and make sure what we're doing with Zero Trust is enablement for the business. Business enablement. We can't forget that. We do this all for a reason. And then finally, we need to leverage our existing footprint. Hopefully that all makes sense. We need to leverage our existing footprint. And that's some of the basic steps to get started with Zero Trust. Now, none of that was specific vendor solutions. None of that was this vendor is better than another vendor, because that's not the intent of this, this podcast ever. This is really to, to, to teach you, to instruct you, to pass information, real-world information. So hopefully you got something out of Zero Trust today. Hey friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets, that's going to close out today's episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where we covered zero trust. 
Zero trust is becoming a pretty big buzzword now out there. Now, I will say that this is not a sales pitch. This is not a, um, we're not trying to be marketing zero trust for a specific purpose where we're going to get sales on it. What zero trust is, though, is we do have some sales components marketing solutions for zero trust. So be mindful that make sure you understand what zero trust is and what it isn't and how do you need to worry about it in your organization. What do you need to care about zero trust within your organization? You can visit zigbits.tech to access the show notes. Today's show notes will be at zigbits.tech slash 45. If you liked today's episode on Zero Trust, if it inspired you, resonated something within you, or provided a level of real-world context, let us know. And again, Zero Trust is a big topic, so please do ask your questions. Zero Trust is kind of evolving daily um, within the marketplace and then also within the customer spaces. So as the tools come out, because to be frank, you can't, you can't actually implement a full zero trust architecture today because the tools just don't exist. But as they things as these these tools start to come out, I will start to talk about them and their capabilities at a high level so that you can go forth and implement zero trust in your spaces. You can find Zigbits on all of the socials, that's Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook by searching for Zigbits. You can also send me an email to feedback at zigbits.tech. My friends, until next time. Bye for now.